Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, episode 26, 25 episodes behind us, and now we're going in and reviewing the major lessons we've learned from those episodes. You know, when we started this podcast, I think one of our one of our goals, you said something to me the other day about it, was to hit 25 episodes, to have a certain number of downloads, to, to really do this thing. And here we are, five months later, 25 episodes in, and, and we're, we're really out here doing a podcast. But today, in this episode specifically, what we're going to do is go through each episode and just talk a little bit about it. Say what we learned, say what we gained, say what we enjoyed about it, and, and really get into it. So I'm excited about this for a lot of different reasons, and I'm gonna go ahead and, and get it started with, with one of our, our good friends now, David Sachs. Uh, David was our first episode. I was pretty nervous about it, to be honest. I'd never actually talked to David. I would, I would not be nervous for it if I was doing it tomorrow just because of the, of the friend that he's become. And that's, that's actually what I have written down here as my favorite thing about that episode was that I gained a friend in David Sachs. So if you're listening, David, I know you're smirking. There you go. Yeah, that dude's got quite the smirk. I, <laughs> I completely agree with that, Kyle. The little lesson I have from that one is just the importance of fearless cold calling to figure stuff out. David kind of took on a large project, buying a food truck, getting licensing, getting healthcare regulations to be able to serve the bagels legally, getting university approval, getting employees, getting ingredients, just a lot of things. And all it came down to was picking up the phone, being willing to negotiate, make deals, make it happen. Pick up the damn phone. That's the tagline. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Always find a way. Is kind Always of find the, a way. The overarching lesson that came out of that episode. Episode two, Lisa McKinney. What you got, Kyle? Well, what I've got here is how important enthusiasm is and attitude is in any environment. Because Lisa teaches what most people find to be a very boring topic in accounting. I personally, you know, enjoy it, I guess. I don't really enjoy being being taught it, but she has found a way to leave an impression on all of her students that she really cares that she, you know, is a fun person getting across these topics that are usually so dull. So the, the importance and the power of enthusiasm is the lesson that I took away from that, as well as like, if you go back and listen to the episode, it's, it's really incredible how altruistic she is with her Lyft program and, and just like the community outreach that she does. You know, there's a lot of lessons in there about, about giving back. Yeah, I pretty much wrote down the exact same stuff about how anything can be fun when you approach it with the right mindset and attitude about learning it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's just so whimsical about the way she teaches it, you know, uh, that it makes it great. And also from the other perspective, it's the importance of finding great teachers and how big of an impression that can make on you. So when you're really serious about learning something, finding the right teacher can make all the difference and it's worth investing in choosing the best instructor for that topic. So yeah, number three, Bryant Mathis. I got a very succinct four word summary here, four words plus one character. And that character is the greater than sign. Real life is greater than social media is my takeaway from our conversation with Bryant. Not that I had the alternate opinion before the conversation, but it's good to be reminded of it. Uh, Again, Bryant was telling us about a startup he has for facilitating social interaction, you know, by organizing group activities, by a combination of the group itself, the activity and the location, and just kind of reminiscing on how much better it is to really be with a group of people and engage in spontaneous social stuff like rock climbing or basketball or hanging out at the park. So just 
scrolling on social media and how much more fulfilling that is. Yeah, it's almost like we had the same conversation, Lewis, because I wrote down the exact same thing. I wrote down the power and difference between the real world and social media. So I don't really have much more to add to your eloquent phrasing of it, but it is a very important lesson, I think, for our generation to understand just how not real world Twitter is and how separated the two are from each other. Like you can be on Twitter and follow a thousand people and think that that's a good sample of like the way the collective brain of society and culture works, but it's just not even close. And you know, that's something that we've talked about a lot is the echo chambers that you can get stuck inside of in social media, which I think are a gigantic threat to our, our generation and our culture and, and everything just because it's so easy to get caught up in. And then it's just a snowball in terms of the things that you see and the things that you're willing to believe on every side. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Great conversation. I'm looking forward to hanging out with Brian uh, when we get back to school because he and I have been mentioning going for a run on the, the river. So that'll be fun. And that leads me right into my le- lesson from what I believe is episode four with Angelo Robledo, which is to copy paste Kyle's lesson from episode one, which is now going to appear throughout the interview. Podcasting is a fantastic way to make friends. Angelo has also become one of our closer friends in the quarantine months, and he's not someone I was close with before. We competed against each other in speech and debate in high school, and we're kind of more acquainted with each other, never really had much more of than brief passing conversation, knew of each other. I remember that he was a super interesting guy, so I hit him up and asked if he wanted to be one of our early podcast guests, and he did. And he and I have pretty much texted each other almost every day since then. He visited me in Arizona. We've shared a lot of laughs. It's awesome. Uh, But from that episode specifically, it just how cool it is to be have such a deep curiosity in something and have such an extreme passion for it. And I think what Angelo demonstrates really well is that you don't have to have formed an interest in something early in life to become an expert at it. Sure, there are some things that like he's been obsessed with since he was seven years old and he's now like on the World Association for them, which is incredible. But there are also stuff that he only started a year or two ago, which he's also on his way to having a world-class knowledge base in and also having like world-class skill in if it's a physical skill. So it's not like age is a prerequisite to becoming world-class in knowledge or skill. Yeah, and I agree. And I also kind of parroted that with just the I was shocked in that episode at his willingness to go so deep on any given, not any given topic, but when he decides what to go deep on, he spends, you know, four hours a day for weeks, like focusing and and doing whatever it may be. Just a real bias toward action with him. Definitely. And I recommended to him after our episode that he should make a website for his podcast and he had like a fully functioning website that did everything he needed to do like <laughs> six hours later, uh, which was incredible. So, you know, something that James Goldman talked about in our most recent episode was how he likes to vet founders for what they're, if they're going to be good or not, and if they know their stuff or not, if they're trying to BS him when it comes to like explaining some technology or something. And he said his way of knowing that is if after asking them a bunch of questions on a topic, you just throw your hands up and say, I give up, you know your stuff. And that's kind of how Angelo is with like everything. So mm-hmm. it's like you can just drill him and drill him and drill him. It's like he's immune to the Socratic method or something. Like you're not going to find a hole in one of the areas he's confident about. So that's Angelo. Ethan Reeves. I don't know. I, I was going to talk about the personal MBA, how cool that is. Just the, the level of detail that he goes into with everything. And then just like the, his upbringing was so cool. And he's been in like 60 musicals he owns a business that he he started and has 
tens of thousands of customers and he's is a one man show. And now he's taking on this personal MBA project and, you know, built out all these processes for, for reading the, the 200 books that is, are recommended in the personal MBA. It's just, he takes everything to, to level 10 and stays there. Yep. I completely agree. This is going to be number three in the episode for podcasting is a great way to make friends. I've also had very frequent communication with Ethan way more than we did before we did this podcast. Uh, turns out that deep conversations where you learn a lot about someone is a good way to understand them better and want to be their friend. And that has worked extremely well with Ethan because he and I get along great. I'm beta testing a software product he's working on that potentially an Ethan Reeves part two will promote if it gets ready to the he's looking for user stage. Uh, And then the other cool thing from Ethan's episode was his concept of what I'm terming generational gratitude, which Mm. is the idea that what motivates Ethan to work so hard and be level 10 at everything he does. And he reflects on uh, how his ancestors had these really manual, difficult jobs and factories, you know, being sewing the feet into pajamas and crazy stuff like that for hours and hours a day for decades. And he's like, they did all of that. So I could have this privileged, comfortable life. And I would be like insulting their memory by not living my life to the fullest and taking full advantage of all the privilege I've been given. And that concept of generational gratitude is an awesome motivator work hard because you're extremely lucky to be where you're at. Yeah, that's very powerful. I forgot that we had talked about that. I think next is Adam Wozniak, right? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because all I had for a books episode was reading, comma, makes us sound smart and stuff. So we can just skip that one. Yeah, we can just skip books. Anyways, Adam Wozniak. Yeah, so what I have for Adam is the idea of making a ridiculous challenge and then falling through on it and kind of the benefits of creating an inspiring goal. So he had wanted to get this programming job because he needed to start making money to support himself. And he didn't want to just, you know, go work at Starbucks or Barnes and Noble or wherever else the kids work these days. And he, <laughs> uh, he's like, you know what, I'm going to, I know how to code a little bit. I've put a thing or two together. I'm going to get a programming job. And so he starts talking to startups in the area and they're like, you're not qualified. And he goes, okay, well, here's the deal. Give me 30 days. Don't pay me. And if I'm not their best programmer, I don't know if he made it specific to your best program at this one task or just your best programmer, problem solver, overall, whatever it is, like, don't keep me around. But if I am, keep me around and pay me like I am. And the dude's like, well, risk-free, right? If he's if he comes through, awesome. If not, like, okay, one month internship, who cares? Uh, and he just busted ass for those 30 days and held the job for like a long time and eventually I think became like CTO or the chief developer of like a branch of that company. So it's an incredible yeah. story. Yeah. And I, it was that verbose too. I don't, I don't think you're leaving out any, any confidence that he had when he was talking about it. I mean, (laughs) he was like, yeah, I walked in there. I told him I'm going to be the best guy in here in a month. And then I did it. And then it just kind of went flat. We were like, okay, well, what what are the steps to getting there? (laughs) What did you do? Did he just like (laughs) read books? I I have something similar. I have not knowing is not an excuse, which is something. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that, Kyle. A couple couple episodes later with Callie too. But in in the meanwhile, we had Lil Gimchi on, which, you know, he's a Korean rapper living in Thailand. And I've got sort of a, a hip hop reference here in terms of the lesson that I learned, but it's network equals your net worth because he used uh, the, the network that he had already to really build a following around him just because he was able to connect with other big name rappers in Thailand in order to get a, a foothold in the industry. Yep. That's what I wrote down for that one is you now he was, <laughs> he, so Sean Logimji was a friend of mine from my study abroad in Thailand 
and he was low-key a like big deal rapper in the city Bangkok whatever and the way he was already kind of made friends with those at the top letting his ego get out of the way he tells a funny story about that in order to become friends with some of these guys uh. at the top <laughs> and that really enabled him to when he released his first song I just and he was already on as uh, an additional artist I don't know what the term is I'm thinking in hockey here he had the assist on some of these other tapes and the then feature. He featured. the feature he featured on with the big guys and then when he had his own single they they plugged him he just jumped what zero to 100 real quick all right <laughs> hey <laughs> and then what about callie okay callie is uh one of my best friends she lives in washington dc she works for deloitte she's got a really cool job where she does a thing called a, a sonic, sonic capture where she like recaps big meetings in the form of a song. It's really, really cool. And the lesson that I took away from that is like, even in a big organization like Deloitte with thousands and thousands of employees, if you can add value in a unique way, uh, you can build your own career and be like a linchpin in that organization, which is something that I think that she, she has become for Deloitte. And it was cool to kind of come to that realization on that podcast Wow, I had been such good friends with her beforehand. Yeah, I have a couple things here. It's almost like we had the same conversations, Kyle. Uh, but two lessons from Callie. One, crush the task at hand. Callie, you know, studied music in college and then ended up working at a bank and like got promoted through the ranks of this bank because whatever she was given, she went above and beyond on. And the same thing at Deloitte. She didn't study anything too specific that related to her job and didn't go in with a technical understanding. It's just whatever she was given, she put a thousand percent into and didn't care that it wasn't what she studied or she didn't know about it. She just like became an expert and crushed it. And then the other thing was, you know, using your unique combination of skills as an advantage. So using that musical background to show her ability to use a song to represent what happened in a meeting. Now, Kyle, I'm curious to hear what you got from the conversation with my cousin Curtis, episode yeah. 10. So what I wrote down is extreme ownership over the problems that are in front of you. Because what Curtis does is he runs kind of like seven businesses under one roof. And, you know, we talked a lot about what that was like, but, you know, really what it is is constant problems. Like no matter what, there's something going on that he's having to figure out and solve. So ownership over problems, which is something that I think has come up in a lot of different episodes. And then I've got don't buy old buildings because it sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, is like flooding. It's like, Two of his businesses were flooded at that very moment. He's like, I got to go clean all this stuff up. So that's what I learned from Curtis. What about you? So I've got a meta lesson here. Uh, there's a common theme with episodes one through 10. It's all people we already knew. These were friends we had, people in our network, weak ties, close ties, friends and family, whatever it was. And that's just like 10 minutes, 15 minutes of Kyle and I making commentary about how much we learned from people we already knew. So it's not like you need to go out there and go through episodes 12 through 25 all people we didn't know before brand, which isn't the case for episodes 12 through 25, but you don't need to go on Twitter. You don't need to like find Tim Ferriss or the author of the favorite book you read to like have someone smart teach you about life and like things that will improve your life. Like episodes one through 10, just two hour conversations with our close friends and family taught us so much. So that's the meta lesson there. Uh, second, so specifically, you can learn a lot from your family. I mean, Curtis lived with me for five or six years and you know, that that's the conversation we never had. Uh, I was yeah. younger at the time, whatever else, but like, how well do you know your family? I mean, how cool is it to hear that? Just take a hour to sit back and ask your cousin or your dad or your mom or your sister, like the details of going through step-by-step step in their career up to where they're at. And 
their problems and their attitude about life. It's so cool to do that with my cousin. Uh, and that also kind of really, I think has changed our relationship and made me seem like more of an adult in his eyes. You know, I was just like younger cousin. I was always 12 years younger that, than him when I lived with him. I'm still 12 years younger than him. That didn't change when he moved out. But now it really makes me seem like an adult in his eyes that I'm able to ask him these types of questions and appreciate his professional journey as an adult. And that's really cool. So mm-hmm. you don't need to go out and find crazy successful online entrepreneurs and authors with 25,000 followers or whatever it is to learn a lot about life. So that's my lesson there. That was a really good lesson, Lewis. Okay. The next episode was Slade Johnson, someone that was already in our network, but he is running a really cool business in Trips for Trade. The, the lesson that I learned is the power of polish. Yeah. So just because every question that we asked him, it rolled off his tongue. Perfect delivery, perfect answer, which is a really good thing and something that people that own businesses should be able to do. But you can tell that he's done it so many times that um, he'll, he'll never have a problem talking about trips or trade with any anyone ever. Yeah. I have the exact same thing here. Practice shows results. Slade was the most polished guest we've had so far. Without bar none, it is unbelievable the amount of pitching and explaining and conversations this man has had about his business. And it's just it demonstrates and increases his level of credibility and professionalism to like a new height. Uh, so that's our lesson with Slade, but also his business is awesome. And any outdoors enthusiasts should check it out. Trips for trade. For sure. What about Steon? Steon was really interesting. So that was our first guest kind of completely outside of our network. Like the only reason that we were talking to this guy is because of our podcast. There was no other way in the world where we would be talking to him. So that was just a really cool prerequisite for this conversation that we hadn't really had before. The lesson that I took away from that, he's very involved in a thing called the Nerva Project. It's like an alternative university that I'm sure everybody that's listening to this will hear about in the future. But what I learned is just that the future of education will look nothing like it does today. And I think since that, it's, well, that was only a couple months ago, but you know, we're starting this new school year and everything's online. It's just everything that he was saying, I think is even more relevant right now than it was then three or four months ago. Completely. I've got two additional lessons there. One is to learn the local language. Part of the reason we had Steon come on was because he loves like 10 languages. It's crazy. But I've done two long-term live abroad experiences, one in Israel, one in Thailand, and neither time I really took the effort to learn the local language. And I think that gave me a dramatically less enriching experience. Don't get me wrong. I loved what I did in both places, but I was dramatically less able to make friends with locals or have small talk with people at coffee shops or whatever else. And Steon's like, yep. So I went to Bangladesh and I learned the language and then I went to Indonesia and I learned the language. And like, that's just a more enriching way to experience the world. Let's go to Martin. I said I have to. The second one's not all that interesting. So, <laughs> Okay. So, Lewis, what did you learn from Martin? Because that was something that, someone that you brought on from your uh, time at Mercedes. Yes. That's actually funny. So I have a friend, Kyle, and I have a friend named Emmett, who uh, is now co-oping at Mercedes, the facility that Martin worked at at the time we did this podcast. And I'm giving him a tools to survive, not survive, tools to thrive and succeed at Mercedes co-ops. On Tuesday morning, I just scheduled that call. So wanted to learn from my mistakes. Anyway, so Martin was a human resources guy at Mercedes-Benz US International, where I formerly worked and did an engineering co-op. He is 
or played a major role in determining who advanced from engineering positions to management positions. And that's kind of what we focused the conversation around. The lesson there is that at a firm like Mercedes or Boeing or any of these large engineering places, just about everyone has a baseline level of technical skill. So what really sets you apart are your people skills, your personality traits, your ability to be a team player, your likability, your sociability, like making friends with your bosses, making friends with your colleagues, being helpful, turning around things for other people quickly. That plays a bigger role in your success in the corporation than your technical skill. Like don't suck, obviously, like do good work, but pretty much everyone who's at that point in life graduated with an engineering degree, has the relevant experience. What sets you apart is your personality. And, and I'll pair it that with just like, there's an X factor to leaders that is almost unexplainable. Like it's, it's soft skills, but what are soft skills? You know, it's just something about like the way that you treat other people that can really get you ahead. Even in the eyes of someone like that, that's literally making decisions as to the advancement of employees inside of a corporation like that's the the beating heart of it like the person making that decision is saying yeah you know it's like about the way that you treat people which was an interesting thing to hear and then yeah that um, gives me to oh go ahead martin came into that yeah Yeah. martin came into that with like four or five pages of and just preparation and you know not taking anything with a grain of salt, like he could have just come to that and been like, what's up? But no, he had, he had spent time working on, on that project. So uh, that was another thing that I learned from him. Yeah. And this is going to remind me, Kyle, of another kind of thematic lesson we're uncovering in this episode, which is how Martin was in the circus and like for like 18 years and was like, <laughs> that was his whole life. And like, that was super interesting. And Martin and I hung out and we worked there and we worked on a project together. And again, a lesson I want to convey to everyone is like, how much do you know about the people around you? Martin and I talked for like hours about different stuff at work. And the fact that he was in the circus for 20 years just never came up. And like, that's mm-hmm. super interesting. So uh, I was again, informing just... all of his opinions all the whole time, which is really <laughs> interesting. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then our next episode was our semester in review. And I'll keep this one short because it was me and you. But uh, I just think it'll be really interesting to see how wrong we were and are about things in the future. Because, you know, this is evergreen content. It'll be out there forever. We're only 20 years old or you're 21. I'm 20. It'll be interesting to look back and be like, man, I was dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's a fun fact. When we look back on this episode, you're going to say the same thing. I don't know. It'll be really meta when I'm seeing myself say that. I don't know how many layers you can go deep on that, but uh, what about episode 15 with Nabir? If I haven't caught the numbering completely wrong yet. Nabir, you know, I. From Jeopardy. Anything down. I was okay. listening to something and I and I wrote what I was listening to. <laughs> so when you scan your notes, I like, put be- you're like, yeah. Best business advice from Drucker, learn the violin. That's the lesson that I learned, I guess. Okay, so here. that's funny. So I'll give you a, I'll, I'll sub in here. So it's, Nabir, yeah, yeah. shoot your shot, right? That one, I was just spent the first month of quarantine watching this episode of Jeopardy every night at like six with my parents. We watched Nabir progress through the ranks of the College Jeopardy tournament, and I was just starting this podcast. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm gonna get that guy on my podcast. He's a college kid. He probably's got an Instagram account. Let's do it. So I DM'd him on Instagram. He gave me his email. We did a pre-call. We did the whole thing, and then he played a game of Jeopardy on Zoom with me and my family. That was cool. That was fun. <laughs> that was rewarding, and that motivated me to want to keep doing the podcast. Because I mean, what a crazy story, right? Anyway, that's one lesson. Shoot your shot, because you can get find someone on TV and literally get them to have a two-hour conversation with you. And then use the internet to learn stuff. Nabir, we're like, how did you prepare for Jeopardy? And he's like, well, I just, you know, 
felt like I was weak in an area. I just went on YouTube and like watch crash course videos again. And this is another kind of meta lesson. We'll go through it throughout the episode. Like most of the ep- very few of our guests have given us a very complicated life advice. He's like, I kind of picked something simple and I did it. Like if I needed to learn about us history, I watched the, uh, the green brothers fr- and I watched all the crash course us history or crash course art, or crash course astrology. I took notes or I just didn't take notes. I mean, it wasn't that crazy. It's just like, yeah, mm. I paid attention in class in high school. I pay attention when I watch YouTube videos. Now I know a lot of stuff and I want Jeopardy. Joe Puccio. Joe Puccio was really cool because it was the first episode or first person that we talked to that started a product that I had used and heard of many times before. So we just took a break to do some push-ups, and he is back and better than ever. What is Corsical? Tell me from the start. Corsical is an app where you put in your classes for college and it allows you to like be in a waiting room for different classes that you want to be in. So you don't get stuck with that horrible 8am class that nobody wants. And I had used it before I paid for it. And that was really cool. But to have Joe on and to talk to him about some of the design aspects that are in Corsical and, and how much time and thought that he puts into every little piece that is in the app was really cool. And like, just to hear him talk about aesthetics and how important they are. Uh, and you can really just tell how much he cared about the product. I did not say how much he cares about the product, how much he cares about the user of the product. True. That was another thing that was cool was that he, you know, could put it on a recurring payment schedule where everybody that ever buys from him would just like buy in perpetuity. And they had that turned off and, you know, they'd be making so much money if they had that on and he just has it turned off because he thinks it's what's right. Yeah, I want to explain that in actually a little bit more detail to make it more clear of the point you're making. So, you know, we're all familiar with software companies are like, oh, just five bucks a month. Oh, just two bucks a month, whatever. And like you only need it X months of the year. He knows that people are only going to need this twice a year, maybe. And even though he has statistics that say like, the average subscription people forget for eight months to forget to like cancel it. So like he knows he could get that long-term revenue and people are still going to rebuy it again when they need it. So he could make it and like not upset anybody because like I thought about this, if I was a college student and I only needed it this time, I only want to pay this much for it. So that's what I'm going to do. And that was awesome. Uh, I got two more lessons here. One is a lot of the biggest things that Kyle and I have heard of started very accidentally. Ethan Reeves, his software company with tens of thousands of users, the ambition wasn't, I'm going to create a six-figure SaaS. It was, I want to automatically have the internet do my speech and debate research for me. And then people started wanting to use it. Same thing here with Corsical. It wasn't, I want to create something that has 400,000 users every single day that students across the country, this, this, and that. It was, I don't want to go to 8 a.m. And then I'm going to build something that tells me when the 9 a.m. section opens and his friends wanted to use it. The other lesson was completionism, which is the importance of finishing what you start. One of Lewis's greatest weaknesses Unfortunately, hopefully, you know, in like a year, I'll be a total completionist and be like, what? Biggest weakness? No way. I finished everything now. But Kyle does not, Kyle does not believe that. You got to hold me to that listeners, guys. Thanks. Please uh, make, help me finish stuff. But he is like, you know, why didn't, you know, it's hard before his pre-revenue, pre all this, just like, why did he keep working on it? And it just like, it wasn't done. He didn't feel like it was finished yet. And that's a lot of what kept him wanting to finish it. So and that's and ultimately what led him to having a finished, perfected product was that he cared about finishing it, not just like, 
letting the motivation of the day determine how much development work goes into it. Absolutely. And next is Timez, Todd Mezra, a entrepreneur out of Tampa. He started a bunch of different financial consulting businesses. They usually specialize in executive compensation packages, I believe. One big lesson, and I'm sure it's written down for Lewis as well, is the importance of following up. And this is something that I've heard so many times since this podcast that we had, that it's really crazy for me. I, I just, I hear it like three times a week now. And we should hit TMS with the follow-up, just like, what's up, TMS? We haven't followed up with him. <laughs> we we <laughs> Not, need to do I mean, that. We did a couple sure. times. We should, yeah. let's, I'm writing that down. T, follow up with TMS. Following up, though, is, I guess, the key to life. You know, my dad has just told me that, I think, like yesterday. He's like, you know, one thing that I really wasn't good at that I should have done and probably would have increased my business 100 times would be following up. And I was like, funny that you say that. Here's what I got for Timez. I actually made a flashcard for it, but I've got a, uh, I've got a stack of flashcards, so I don't think I'm going to be able to find it in time before I move on to the next one. Anyway, it's a concept of being a business athlete. This is something I really like because I think it's a more approachable concept than saying, quote unquote, being obsessed with productivity. It's the idea that if like athletes, their economic potential is based off of their ability to be good at a sport. So they hire coaches, they stretch every day, they write a strict diet, they have a very regimented daily training schedule, they engage in a deliberate practice to improve at specific aspects of their skill. Entrepreneurship should not be treated any differently or any career really. If you're a programmer, if you're an artist, whatever, it's approaching your career and your economic engine with that same level of intention and thought as an athlete would. So does that mean getting a coach to teach you how to improve, identify the weaknesses in your skill and help you be better. Maybe it doesn't mean coming up with drills to make sure you're sharp on the important sub skills of your domain. I don't know, but it also means again, thinking of your body and your mind as the key to your performance in your career and coming up with a life that structures to keeping that in tip top shape. And the other one from Timez was to learn from great mentors. Timez himself being a great mentor, but he gave us this, you know, 50 year roadmap to success in your twenties, do this in your thirties, do this in your forties, do this in your fifties, do this in your fifties is kind of like, if you follow your twenties through your thirties, right, you're just chilling. But anyway, twenties through thirties, the idea is find out what you want to do, find the best in the world at it, go work for them and go learn from them. Don't care if it's the most money, if it's 20, 30, 40% less than your alternatives, who's world-class at what you're trying to do, who's the best in the world and how can I learn from them? So that's a huge lesson that you and I still need to figure out how we're going to do it, but we're kind of figuring it out. Actually, actually we're doing a great job with that. We're doing great. We're doing great because of team as mm-hmm. who we need to follow up with, follow up with all these people. Really speaking of follow up, we got a short term follow up with Jeremy Carter. Yeah, absolutely. Jeremy Carter. That was a great interview. My dad hooked that up. He started yeah. a thing called breakout Birmingham. It was one of the first escape rooms kind of, on the bleeding edge of that trend that happened a few years back. Now he's transitioning into the acquisition of service-based businesses. It's a, it's a really cool thing. But one thing that I took away from that podcast is the strength that can be found in vulnerability, especially vulnerability between groups of people and like how that vulnerability doesn't really exist in everyday life and you kind of have to seek it out. And when you do, it can be really, really rewarding. And I can speak how, how someone do that? seeking out a vulnerable group of people, I would say, or, or really an environment in which you can be vulnerable. I don't know. I think that you have to set up a, a time with a group of people with the intention of being vulnerable. 
you have to have the prerequisite of being like close friends beforehand, mm-hmm. I think. But if everybody knows like where you're going, I think really the, f- the first step to that though is being vulnerable yourself. Yeah, I think what so. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think forming a group with that purpose is the best way to do that instead of just, because ex- no one wants to hear you like unload unless that's, well, I don't want to say that. That's going to make people who like have something need to unload, <laughs> internalize it. So if you have to unload first, find a piece of paper and a journal, get it out there, mm-hmm. so can make it into a clear thought and then and hit some with like the, I've already thought out a little bit of unloading this, unloading of it, but unload onto paper first. Uh, anyway, and then you bring that group together, people, and you can share your problems and struggles. And otherwise, uh, my lesson from our conversation with Jeremy Carter from Bitrate Birmingham on the bleeding edge of the trend was that not everybody should be a founder. Mm. You don't have to be the founder to be a successful quote unquote entrepreneur. Entrepreneur doesn't necessarily mean I have an idea. I'm going to start a new business. Startups, unless you're Ethan Reeves, typically only work with a team. Not anyone can be good at everything. And Jeremy had the self-awareness to say, I'm not the guy with a bold concept. I'm not the guy that wants to get people to believe in an idea. I'm just extremely good at creating a well-managed team and making them motivated and having a common mission and organizing people to be successful. He's not a founder. He's a, a manager, really. A man a business improver was the term he used. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that dramatically. I'm like, shoot, like I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be successful, but like, am I the founder or like, is there another role I fit better? So that's a really important self-reflection that I went into from that conversation. I haven't reached a conclusion on it, but it's a good question to ask and you all should consider it as well. Absolutely. And then your AP US history teacher, Matthew Aberman. I'll go first. First one, the future is uncertain. The second one, history teachers are awesome. The third one, make content with your audience in mind. I knew that episode was going to crush because our Instagram audience at this point in time is dramatically composed of people that know me from high school. Therefore, people that know Mr. Aberman and are super interested in him. That got more shares from people like, oh my God, Mr. Aberman, you need a podcast. I want to check it out. That went on and did it. And like by far still our most popular episode in terms of listenership, hours consumed, percentage consumed, just people liked it. Uh, Also, because he is rehearsed as a lecturer, as his career is to hold people's attention as the sole object of conversation for 50 minutes, uh, that improved it as well. He's just a smart guy and knowing with the listeners in mind and also answering relevant questions. A lot of people and like concerns we've had with the podcast up until this point is like, are we being tone deaf right now? You know, like, why are we relishing in the success of like these people in the past and like their, how they did really well in business or made a lot of money? when the world was having really, really hard times and everyone's really scared and confused and all those things. And when we brought on someone who we addressed the topic at hand, like what do these riots mean for society? What does the stimulus mean for society? What does the vaccine look like at this point in time? And when he answered the questions that people who follow us actually care to know more in the meantime, like they're going to listen more. So thinking from the audience's perspective makes our show more perspective successful yeah and i agree with all of that especially the it being relevant to like the current topic because like i a lot of people are like what's your favorite episode uh to me before they listen for the first time to our podcast and then i had a few people who were like yeah i mean i know what you said but i just listened to the aberman one because i wanted to learn about the coronavirus and i was like yeah well it's a pretty good episode so <laughs> but one big takeaway for me from that was just the how bad the political polarization is affecting American society. 
yeah, the, the pendulum thing. Go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear me explain that in full detail. But the radicalization of both sides of the uh, American political dichotomy is what causes 99% of the problems, in my opinion. And yeah. That and vegetable oils, Kyle. Don't forget, vegetable oils causing mm-hmm. all of the problems. And I want to make one distinction here. Both sides are not all sides, but the media wants us to think it's that way. Agree. I don't know if you froze or if you think I'm making a crazy point here, but you I said agree. Okay, cool. What about Howard? Howard. Howard Lindzen. That was a really interesting conversation. That dude has been on the internet for 20 years. We talked briefly about his first five blog blog posts, 2005, where he talked about the power and the future of YouTube and, and blogging and just like seven to 10 of the technologies. And you and I should go make blog posts that are like, Bitcoin's going to be huge and AI is going to be huge just so we can timestamp it. And we can just delete all the bad predictions. Okay. I'm with that for sure. Uh, Point is Howard Lindzen did that without deleting him. I don't think, or I think so. (laughs) One cool thing that uh, I remember from that one was his idea about attaching yourself to a rocket ship which is like, if he could give advice to, to young people, it would be go out, find a company that people are talking about that is like Barstool or, or some other company that everybody that your age is talking about, get in on the team and then learn from the rocket ship ride that that company will be because it's so in the vernacular and people are talking about it so much. That's one of the things, kind of the metrics that he works off of when investing talking about companies another lesson from that for me was produce 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 since i or lewis and i um kind of got that introduction and started talking to him i subscribed to his email list of course and i mean i've got an email from him every single day to his to his newsletter and this man's like the general partner of a venture capital fund you know he's got all these accomplishments and yet he's tweeting 60 times a day sending out this long newsletter like it's very impressive how much content he's able to produce. So I've got a few lessons from Howard that I want to share. Uh, first one is a very practical about investing itself. I've kind of passionately against very unhealthy food products. So like added sugars, refined oils, these kinds of things that are like really bad for us. And they're kind of keeping that a secret from us. However, I invest in the S&P 500 index funds all the time, which is basically saying I'm putting my capital to buy shares of companies that make all their money doing these things. Now with Robinhood, which de- allows you to pretty easily invest in what he would call the S&P 495, right? You can do that same thing and choose all the companies you don't want to support. So I think that's a cool idea. And I've been working on transitioning my personal investments away from those large companies that make their business doing things I don't agree with. And I can still kind of model those same quote unquote passive quote unquote returns that you could expect from an S&P 500 index fund without supporting what I don't want to support. That's a cool one. Second one is to talk about what you're doing. So this interview with Howard, who we said is extremely accomplished, 250,000 Twitter followers, like all these amazing investments. He's kind of like, he's a guy, like in the space of entrepreneurship, he's got some credibility. Like it was pretty crazy. We got on for episode 20, in my opinion. Uh, And how'd that happen? Because everyone I know, I talk about my podcast. And this guy and someone I interacted with was like, hey, you should interview my uncle. He's really cool. I'm like, okay. And like, that's how that came about. Just because I'm here talking about putting, you know, vibes into the world about what I'm doing. And sometimes serendipitous things happen. 
And that's a lesson I've learned as well from listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast. They say this in every single episode. If you want to get into buying real estate, start telling everyone you know that you're interested in buying real estate. And all of a sudden, people that need to sell, people that know of deals will start telling you about them and you start attracting and gravitating ideas. So it's the same thing with a podcast. Tell everyone you know, hey, I'm doing this really interesting thing and you never know what might come out of it. What about Scrubby? Speaking of serendipity. Scrubby. That was a really cool conversation. What I have written down is kind of a, a meta lesson about life and something that Nassim Taleb talks about, which is like history doesn't crawl, it jumps. And how that applies to him is like he was putting out videos every day of, I think it was Call of Duty, just like over and over and over, like hundreds of videos. And then all of a sudden he put out some different form of content and he just hit an inflection point. And, you know, he went from like zero to a hundred thousand followers or subscribers in, in the span of two months. And it's just like, you know, you never know where your big break is going to come from. And it's just really cool that he's able to share that with us. Yeah. I got two things on that same line of thinking. And this is what really motivated Kyle and I to create this podcast. One of the motivations among many, right? Uh, Kyle and I follow an author on Twitter and other places named David Perel. And he talks about the idea of a serendipity machine. The importance of writing online or making podcasts or making content on the internet is it's a serendipity machine. You have no idea when or what's going to happen from it, but it's going to lead to good things. It's going to lead to interesting opportunities. You put an article out there, it gets shared to someone who's really cool. That reminds me of a potential lead we should explore, Kyle, from when I wrote an article that led to a potential lead that I haven't followed up with because it was a year ago. Anyway, might as well try But putting content on the internet, someone might read it, someone might share it, someone might benefit from it and send you a direct message and a friend might come out of it. You have no idea. So Ryan shared the exact same thing. He said, you know, he put out these videos and all of a sudden something caught and now that's his career. He bought a house, he dropped out of college. It's amazing. So you never know what's going to happen unless you start publishing. And then once you do start publishing, stay consistent. That's just a reminder. One podcast every week, Kyle. We've got to keep that up. Absolutely. Mike Case, what'd you learn from him, Lewis? So Mike Case was kind of cool because he was like the first real world example of someone who was interested in all like the reading newsletter, internet, mental model stuff that, you know, is really trendy to talk about who's actually applied it in like a real world successful scenario. Like you think a lot of the time, or at least for me and my exposure to these ideas has come from other young people who haven't actually really done too much in the real world yet that care about these things. And here we bring on Mike Case who's run this very, not manual, but like manufacturing, timberlands, like land management, like a very quote unquote old world business. And the way he approaches decision making and management and leadership is the same kind of Shane Parrish, the Knowledge Project podcast, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Mental Models, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, Cognitive Biases. Like he uses all of that reading and all of that literature and all these other books and applies that to his real life. And I kind of thought it was just kids that think they're interesting and like want to be successful reading stuff. But it's like actual real world leaders do use this to inform their understanding and decision-making. So that was cool for me. Yeah. I just have written down here so many things because of how, <laughs> like how in depth that podcast was. I mean, we, we went over the importance of goals, habits, mental models, and then the application of all those things to his life. I think, you know, it's really inspiring what he's doing now in retirement and how he's really not stopping doing anything. You know, he, he's, really pushing. He said he's like spending three hours a day exercising and then hours a day reading and and learning. And, you know, one thing that struck me when I first uh, came in contact with him over a year ago 
was that he was he had just bought a calculus textbook and he was teaching himself calculus because he just wanted to know some calculus and and i think that that example kind of shows itself through that entire interview you know he's just a an unquenched learner and he he'll never stop doing that so it was really cool to be able to talk to somebody whose decisions have been informed for so long by that level of curiosity should we rename the podcast unquenchable it's kind of a cool word Maybe. I like it. Okay, maybe. Then we can say I came up with it. It's not going to work. sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Insatiable with Lewis and Kyle. Ooh, okay. I like that. Insatiable curiosity. Quarantine curiosity. No. Yeah. (laughs) We still are somewhat quarantined. This name would have aged up until 25 episodes. That's funny. We could have done a 25 episode name change. We could. We still can. That's our endless debate, Kyle, but I also don't have a strong opinion on it because I don't have a name that I think is better. So, you know, that's some behind the scenes deliberation about the future of the Lewis and Kyle show. But what about Chris Spaggs? Chris Spaggs was a, a really cool interview. He's very involved in the no-code space, kind of on Twitter and, and Webflow, and had a lot to say about the, kind of the future of creating. He's got a really cool tool in JetBoost. It's a way to add dynamic filtering to websites on Webflow. And Webflow is kind of a the, the new tool for website design. You know, WordPress was like the 2010s, Shopify is for e-commerce, and Webflow is kind of taking over as this new design tool that's, that's really well thought out and works really well. What I learned from, from Chris though is just like he, what I have written down is you have to work for the rain to fall on you, which what that means to me Ooh. is you have to like, prepare yourself in order for luck to come your way because i think mm-hmm. that it it's no doubt that jetboost is going to be very successful and take every advantage from webflow setting up this new marketplace and like app store where he's going to have a lot more visibility a lot more customers but if he he hadn't set up all the infrastructure beforehand he wouldn't be able to take advantage of that and i think that that example you can see that throughout his life like he, you know, worked really hard on startups and becoming a software developer. And, and you have to be standing in the right spot for the rain of luck to fall on you. So I have some similar things there. I actually changed my email signature based on this episode to luck is one preparedness meets opportunity because Chris just, his conversation showed that idea so, so, so well. He had all these software companies he tried to create in the past and he was a developer for 10 years and, you know, it never quite like was the right match of opportunity and skill because he had an idea and he wasn't good enough to make it fast enough or he was at a job, but he didn't have any ideas. And like after 10 years and trying multiple businesses, he finally reached that critical mass and the accumulation of skills so that when a friend approached him saying, Hey, can you solve this problem for me? Not only was he able to do it easily and quickly, but he also had the business knowledge from trying to do it with different ideas in the past to execute and sell it. So it's kind of like keep trying, keep acquiring skills in the related domain. And eventually that right intersection is going to happen and your goal is going to come to focus of what your ability to shoot is. Uh, the other one from that conversation is Parabola IO for anyone trying to make an API that will save your life. Upstead. What do you have about John Sharp? John Sharp. I learned a lot from him. One interesting thing that I took away was like taking action, but taking it in the right places something that he was talking about with like entrepreneurial education was you know the difference between business plan teaching where everybody just like writes out a long business plan and actually going out there and and doing it has been very successful for the mcguire center of entrepreneurship at arizona but 
kind of what they're like teaching the students is, you know, you can't go out and do things that don't actually advance your business. Just like a business plan isn't going to actually advance your business. You have to do things that are like in line with what will move you forward into the future with your idea or your business. And then I thought it was interesting how he applied software to an old world technology like real estate or an old world business like real estate, which is something that I've been very entrenched in this summer. So it's cool to hear him talk about property management software, like a piece of paper was 50 years ago to how advanced it is now. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. And that was something I meant to mention with Steon as well. And now bring it back with John Sharp. You're going to, you're confused, but here's, it's come together. So many of the things that we've come to take for granted in the age of 2020, like hearing these, I'm going to put the term veteran in quotes, people that actually developed these industries is really cool. So now it's like, you know, people are like, Lewis, have you ever heard of edX? Like this massive online open course library with millions of free resources, or it's like Udemy and this a million amazing place with a million courses you can get for $11 if you time it right. All these things like didn't exist like 10, 15, 20 years ago. And you have Steon come on and tell you about how in the 90s and early 2000s, he was in like graduate classes theorizing the best way to organize a massive open online course. And now Kyle's, you know, doing this property management internship in person and watching them use all these systems for tracking faults and organizing repairs and collecting rent. And it's like, John Sharp back in the day, like that was pen and paper. And he's like, what if we used a pager for like when someone <laughs> arrived and just like hearing people talk about how these really convenient, really awesome modern new world technologies came into development. That gives you a greater appreciation for the world that we live in. And I've found that to be an unexpected benefit of doing this podcast. That's my lesson from John Sharp. What about episode 25? Recent last memory. one. Here we go. James Goldman. You know, the coolest part about that podcast to me wasn't the $75 million exit and that whole story, but it was about how his drawing and the, the artistic side of him informs the, the rest of his life and how, you know, one example he gave was you never want to sit down with a painting and or a drawing and get up and it not be a completed drawing, you know? Like you can always make it better, but if you're going to draw a dog, you should always have four legs and a body and a head, you know, and then you can improve and improve and improve. But he uses that framework and applies it to his programming and the business that he built with PaintZone. And I think that was really cool. Yeah, I have three points here on James. One, two, and three. Uh, first one's quick. This one is tempering expectations for people in acquisitions. He talks about how it was not a glorious exit until it was, but up until the very moment that the money hit his bank account, nothing was certain about that big acquisition. He had to grind away for however long it was while they're in talks, which was a long time, a couple of months, like as if this deal was not going to work and the money was going to evaporate the next day. So nothing's real until it hits your bank account. So don't set your expectations improperly. Second, uh, it's worth it to ask, right? You don't get if you don't ask, or if you don't ask, you don't get. He tells a story of he wanted to throw an opening pitch at a baseball game. And so I was like, no way. And he's like, why don't you just ask? And he did. And he's like, oh my God, we don't have anyone this week. Sure, we'll let your son do it. Crazy, right? But yes, right? Don't be afraid to ask questions. And that applies to so many things. That's also like a David Sachs lesson. Like, hey, what if I got this truck for half the price? The guy's like, what? Well, actually, I can't even do sell it. So like, you know, you just got to ask those questions. 
And then the third one is the context in which this interview came about is a lesson in customer experience and winning friends and influencing people. So I reached out to someone who creates a product I use called Focusmate, which is a virtual co-working tool. I love it. It's incredible. And I was like, I really want to get the guy who created this on the podcast. So I reached out to him on Facebook and he's like, sure, let's talk at the end of the month. And then he delayed it one more time. He's like, sure. Let's talk again at the end of the month, uh, like a month later. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then he emailed me apologizing. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm working on all these features for Focusmate. I hate to cancel. Who was your ideal guest? What are they about? Like, how, how can I help you get someone else on the show to fill in for me? And so he went from like being slightly annoying about scheduling to giving us two incredible leads for two founders that started awesome software companies, had acquisitions, sold out, like exactly what we'd asked for. He hooked us up with two people, we were able to contact them. And like that led to a good productive interview and a great conversation. So that's a great way to turn something around is he could have left me with a bad taste in my mouth by saying, you know, let's talk in a month. Okay, I'll talk in a month. Okay, I'm sorry, I have to cancel. He's like, I feel so bad about having to cancel that I'm going to send you two leads as good as I can for you. And then they actually came through, which is incredible. So he went, that's a way to turn a situation around. And hopefully one day, Taylor, if you're listening, we'll be able to interview you because I still like what you've built. But that is an incredible lesson in customer service and pleasing people. So that wraps up this conversation. What you, what you got to say, Kyle? Not much other than it's been a good ride through 25 episodes. You know, I'm glad that we got there and I, and I look forward to the next 25. I think the Lindy effect is going to play. Like, I think it, it's pretty likely that we hit 50 episodes now, mm-hmm. which is uh, exciting. A lot more likely than it was when we were at episode zero. That's for sure. And then maybe then we'll do another 25 lessons that we've learned. Hopefully we learn even more from the next 25 than we have from the last 25. So, I've got yeah. two closing thoughts, two stories here, and they're actually the same idea. So one I want to say is express very sincere gratitude to whoever's listening to 65, 70 minutes into this episode. Kyle and I've talked a lot about, you know, we've decided not to quit. We decided to hit 25 episodes. We're going to do another 25 episodes. We want to keep putting out one a week. And a lot of that is because we see we're not at zero listeners. We are consistently getting a group of people that repeat listen to our episodes. On days where we don't publish on social media, some people are still listening to content we created. In the month of June and July, more hours were spent consuming our podcast than were spent creating it. So if Kyle and I recorded 10 hours of conversation and there was 100 hours consumed, that means like almost every word we spoke was heard 10 times in aggregate. And that means someone's finding value in this. Someone's feeling that what we're talking about is inspiring them to make positive change in their lives or go out and do something they weren't doing before. And that, or just they'll have a new nugget of wisdom or be entertained or whatever value it is that we're providing. I'm happy that someone's doing that. And the fact that I can see that there are listeners out there, subscribers, people looking stuff on social media, sending me messages about I really enjoyed this conversation. This was a really interesting idea. That's what motivates us to keep doing it. And I want to thank you for that. And one point on that story comes from Angelo. uh, And this is one of the most rewarding things that's happened so far in the podcast is he said, no, I listened to your episode with Adam. I thought about his insane challenge about learning to code in 30 days. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make up an offer like that to the next position I want. I want to become part of this podcast network. So I'm going to write them a boldly worded email asking to be included in this podcast network because I'm super qualified and my show's great and it's a perfect fit. And like, I'll figure out whatever it is I need to figure out. And he wrote those cold emails. He wrote those bold propositions and that podcast network ended up accepting him. 
His listenership for his podcast has improved dramatically. He's reached all sorts of new people with his really awesome content. And he's now going to guest appear on a really big podcast in the science space. Uh, point is, something we created, a conversation that we had and chose to record and publish, and someone that listened to it, took a piece of an idea we put out into the world, took into their own lives, and are now better off for it. And I hope that experience happens for you all. And I want to hear about it if it does. This inspires me to keep going. Yeah. That's my heartfelt thank you. You know, that's what I say to everybody that uh, is in my personal network that says they listen to the podcast. I'm just like, wow, actually you did? Like, <laughs> I can't, I really <laughs> no. can't. Like, uh, that really does mean a lot to me. I, it will continue to mean a lot to me. And if, you know, me and Lewis are very reachable. If you want to reach out, <laughs> go for it. You know, we, we will talk to you. So, yeah, I, I think it's been, a, it's been a great 25 episodes up to this point. And I'm looking forward to the next 25, Lewis. Yes, Kyle. And hopefully someone's coming in person soon, which will be exciting, an exciting change for us. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm going to sign us off real quick. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button. Go back and revisit these conversations. We gave you a little teaser from each of them. We've got lots of great content coming out. Ideally, once a week, every Tuesday, if we stay consistent, which is the goal. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever else. Hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please send us a message explaining what you enjoyed and any feedback or share it with a friend. Tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in a week with another episode. Bye-bye.